It was a challenge to the sport, which is America's game. Would the public accept the presence of a talented black man in a white man's world? Would the players of the game allow such an unheard of intrusion? It was a challenge which would be offered to the sport by two men of faith, passionate Christian faith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jesus Stories, the podcast which tells the stories of Jesus in the lives of the people who follow him and live out their faith, creating Jesus Stories for all of us to hear. Today's stories, and all of these stories, come to you because of your support, both from your pocketbook and through your prayers. Thank you for that support. If you'd like to join us, find out how. Visit Jesus Stories website, that's jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab. Now, we've told Jesus stories that have been created in the lives of some rather famous people so far, but I know that there are countless Jesus stories out there that are being lived out every day by just ordinary people, people like you, people like me. Would you be willing to share your Jesus story with us? Now, in church, we call that a testimony. And if you'd be willing to share with me, I invite you to write to me. Just go to my website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Talk to Us tab. You'll find multiple ways for contacting me, and I'd love to hear from you. one of five children born to a sharecropping family in Cairo, Georgia. When his father left the family a few months after his birth, his mother took her family to Pasadena, California in search of better opportunities. She found a job as a domestic and focused on raising her children in the values of family, education, optimism, self-discipline, but above all, God. Life was hard. The family was poor, they dealt with racism, and racism was met with blessing under the tutelage of their mother. Our man was an extraordinary athlete. In high school, he lettered in baseball, basketball, football, and track and field. His older brother was a gifted runner who competed in the 1936 Olympics, winning silver medal behind Jesse Owens' gold. In college, our man continued to make a name for himself, not only in sports, but to be one of the first students of color for a service organization. And he was the most valuable player of the year for his college in Southern California. However, our man had a hard time controlling his temper. When racism reared its ugly head, our man reacted. While he had been taught by his mother that anger was not a way for him to answer this evil, it was the teaching and guidance of a Methodist minister which helped him to understand that reacting in explosions of anger was not the reaction Jesus would sanction to confront racism. 
he learned that these injustices were better met with love and restraint. Our man rolled in UCLA with an offer to play football and run track. He helped the school win game after game and became the first UCLA athlete to letter in football, baseball, basketball, and track. Sounds like his high school, doesn't it? He didn't graduate, hoping to play professional football. That happened when he signed on to a semi-pro team in Hawaii, but he became disenchanted with the team and he missed his family. So he sailed for the mainland just two days before the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. The onset of World War II brought opportunities in two ways. First, he worked with Lockheed Aircraft in Burbank, and secondly, he was inducted into the Army, the Segregated Army. He passed the test for Officer Candidate School, but he was denied that opportunity until the famous boxer, Joe Lewis, who was stationed at the same base, used his connections to ultimately allow our man to become an officer. In 1944, there was an incident where our man resisted an illegal order to go to the back of an army bus that resulted in his arrest. A court-martial followed, where he was charged with behaving disrespectfully toward his superior officer and disobedience of a lawful command. The court-martial trial resulted in a not guilty verdict. Witnesses had testified to our man's character and the respect that he enjoyed by the men he worked with. After being discharged from the Army, our man accepted an offer to play in the Negro National League baseball team, the Kansas City Monarchs. He was also invited to teach physical education for a college. But changes were brewing for our man. In the world of baseball, the major leagues had a rigidly enforced rule against allowing black players on their teams. But there was a war in the sports pages about this rule and whether major league baseball should be integrated. In New York, a plot was brewing. The Brooklyn Dodgers general manager was trying to plot how to integrate the sport. This man, Branch Rickey, was a devout Christian he did not play or attend games on Sundays, the Lord's Day, and he knew that integration of this sport would be tough, controversial, and he would need to proceed slowly and strategically. He was in a position to do something about this injustice, and his faith demanded that he act. He started by sending scouts to the Negro League games on the pretense of starting a new Negro club. And from these scouting reports, he had selected several players for consideration. But one man stood out. Yeah, it was our guy. He was a very talented player. He was a college man and a veteran. He had experience playing with white players. And he was a follower of Jesus with a strong moral character. And, as we have seen, he has been tested in dealing with racism without blowing his top, letting his temper getting the best of him. This was crucial to the plan which Ricky had formed. If a man could be goaded into saying or reacting in a negative way, this would set the cause of integration of baseball back a number of years. Our man was brought to New York to meet with Ricky without telling him the why for the trip. 
As far as he knew, he would be playing on a new Negro League team. No, Ricky said, that isn't it. You were brought here to play for the Brooklyn organization, perhaps on Montreal to start with, and me? Play for Montreal, says our man. If you can make it, yes. Later on, also if you can make it, you'll have a chance with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now this was stunning news. A black man playing in a major league baseball team? What he was asking for was not just a great ball player, but a great ball player with a cool head and moral fortitude. What I don't know, Ricky said, is whether you have the guts. I'm looking for a ball player with the guts enough not to fight back. Ricky put our man to the test. He took off his coat and acted out the role of an offended Jim Crow, taking on several roles, including a foul-mouthed player insulting his race, his parents, and himself. Our man would have to be able to withstand all of these abuses and not fight back, verbally or physically. In other words, he would have to turn the other cheek, just as Jesus prescribed. Ricky's vision was a moving one for our man. He was to break ground that would allow others of his race to follow in his footsteps as long as he didn't make a misstep. He was sure this mission was given to him by God. He had to do this for those who would follow him, for his mother, his wife, and for himself. Ricky purchased a book entitled Life of Christ for Our Man to reinforce the spiritual dimensions of this mission. Jesus' description in Matthew 5 reads this way, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, Offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat also. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Now that sounds impossible, doesn't it? But it is possible with the help of Jehovah God through his Holy Spirit. Our man signs the contract to play for the Brooklyn organization. That includes a written agreement to remain calm in the face of abuse, as well as playing with Montreal. On October 23, 1945, our man's commitment to Montreal was announced to a stunned world. Just getting to spring training in Daytona Beach, Florida proved to be an ordeal as our man and his new wife endured the racism of canceled reservations and poor travel conditions. He wrote later, I had a bad few seconds deciding whether I could continue to endure this humiliation but he and his wife agreed that he had no right to lose his temper and jeopardize the chances of all the blacks who would follow. Our man excelled in his playing for Montreal and in his resistance to the race-baiting insults that came his way. Montreal won the pennant that year. Our man won the league's batting crown. In the spring of 1947, our man was moved to the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was given his uniform, number 42, and with this you may have already guessed our man's identity. 
Starting out playing first base for the Dodgers, he was subjected to vicious verbal abuse from the opposing team, especially from the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. But this had an unexpected effect. It galvanized his own Dodgers to his side. On the road, the racism continued. Hotels and restaurants refused to serve our man. Letters containing death threats arrived. Other team players kicked and hit our man, but he kept his temper under control. His performance didn't suffer. He was voted 1947's Rookie of the Year. And the next year, when racial epithets were being hurled from the stands in Cincinnati, one of his teammates put his arm around him in solidarity with him. The next year, other black players were signed into the league. And in 1949, he won the National League's MVP award. Ultimately, in 1955, the Dodgers win the World Series. Our man retired from baseball after that. He took a job with human resources for the Chalk Full of Nuts Company. He began building low-income housing through a construction company he formed. He crusaded against drugs, a problem which was very personal to him. He was involved in the civil rights movement and became the first black analyst on ABC television. In 1962, he was voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and in 1999, he was posthumously named to Major League Baseball's All-Century Team. Now, if you haven't guessed it yet, our man is baseball great Jackie Robinson. Let me summarize with words from a short biography of Robinson written by Eric Metaxas. Robinson did what he agreed to do when he met that day with Branch, Ricky, and he changed the game forever. It was a singular feat of such great moral strength that all athletic strength must pale in comparison. With Jehovah God's help, one man lifted up a whole people and pulled a whole nation into the future. And he wrote a Jesus story for all of us to emulate. Jackie hit that ball And when he swung his bat The crowd went wild Because he knocked that ball A solid mile Yeah, boy Yes, yes, Jackie hit that ball Satchel Page is mellow So is Caponello Newcomb and Dobie too but it's a natural fact when Jackie comes to bat, the other team is through. Did you see Jackie Robinson hit that ball? Did he hit it? Yes, and that ain't all. He's so old. Yes, yes, Jackie's real gone.
Jack is real gone. Cause Jackie is a real gone guy. These Jesus stories come to you thanks to your support and your prayers. Thank you for that. You can find out how you can help us by visiting us on our website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab. What about you? Do you have a Jesus story to tell, a testimony of God's love and grace in your life? I'd love to hear it. You can write to me by visiting the website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Talk to Us tab. You'll find several ways to communicate with me there. Let me encourage you to check out patreon.com for a Jesus Story Extra. Yeah, hearing these extras requires your financial support, but that can be provided for as little as $3 a month. Check out the links on our website, jesusstories.info. I'll have a new Jesus Story for you in just two weeks. Join me then for that new story. Right.